four weeks. That's three weeks longer than I thought I would be doing this. Thanks again to everyone that has sent me kind messages of support and encouragement, and especially to my students who have continued to offer technical advice and help. And unfortunately for my wallet, suggestions on how I could improve the sound quality of this podcast. This may or may not have led to the rogue purchase of a new microphone that I'm very, very, very happily using right now. I guess I'm still just a boy who likes new toys. Today's guest is someone that I reached out to a few years ago when I decided to move my classes to an inquiry-based learning style of teaching. In this style of teaching, students work through a carefully scaffolded list of questions and then present their solutions to the class. There are no videos to watch, there are no lectures to attend. My role is to come up with the task sequence at times, but more importantly serve as a facilitator in the classroom, not as a source of knowledge. I inquire into the students' thinking as they inquire into the mathematics. I know what I'm good at, and teaching public speaking to a group of students who have likely never taken a class set up like mine is certainly not one of them. So I went online and searched for speech professors at the Boca campus. I wrote to the first one on the list and asked if they would consider coming to my class on the first day to share some quick tips on public speaking. Kim graciously agreed back then, and also more recently to talk to me on this podcast. Here's our conversation. Well, hello there, Miss Kim. Hey, how's it going? Not too bad. Yourself? Pretty good. For a Monday, surprisingly pretty well. <laughs> I like the green screen. Oh, thank you. Um, it's, I can't take credit. My husband used to do a lot of like video game streaming and things, mm-hmm. and he had at it. So when, of course, when we all started doing Zoom meetings, I was like, oh, we need to pull that out. <laughs> there's always a use for those things. It, yes. it might not be obvious at the time, but there's always a use that comes around. Exactly. Least, Although that's I, what I tell my significant other. Yeah, of course. It's what we tell each other. It works. I did find out though that um, Palm Beach State shirts, not a good idea when you're trying to use the, the green screen. I didn't think of that. Like a floating head. <laughs> Although in some contexts, that might actually be more interesting, to, especially on the first day of class. It might be really cool to just walk in with this oh, disembodied head. I like it, especially depending on the background. Yeah. Or if it's just a green screen and I, I might actually have to track down a green shirt now that I don't mm-hmm. think I have one. Um Really? No Palm Beach State shirts? I don't think so. I, maybe I shouldn't say this out loud, but yeah, I don't think I have any Palm Beach State shirts. Oh, that's impressive. I'm trying Just to like, think if I have anything that's green even. I'll have to go look in my closet. I have see? all manner of blue and gray <laughs> and black, but I don't think I have anything yeah. green. No, I, my only green ones are Palm Beach State, but... I feel like if you go to enough events or even just walk through enough events, you'll get one thrown at you eventually. I think that that might have been where or why I don't have one. I don't think I've gone to them and it might be strategic planning on my part where (laughs) I've just said, I'm not going to go to these things where, you know, I get sucked into doing things I don't want to. Mm -hmm. And then on top of that, you know, I get lured in with the prospect of a green shirt. Yes, That that typically is not enough for me. Although when you offer me free clothing, 
in college, I would do all sorts of things, but. Of course. Well, I mean, it's still college, just, you know, we're, sure. we're, we're the instructors, we're the leaders now. So I get roped into doing all of them through my SLC work. So it's sort of, you know, I'm getting paid to be there anyway. So if you want to give me a free shirt, sure. <laughs> How's the SLC? I know from the faculty side of things, I've spoken with a whole bunch of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if I've spoken with anyone that works at the SLC. How has this shutdown uh, affected you guys, I can, if if at all it has? Oh, oh yeah. I mean, we we had we took everything online. All the tutoring is being done virtually, um, which was crazy because you know a lot of our staff, or the majority of our staff, is part time. So. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't always have the best internet connections or microphones or videos or, you know, even capabilities. We actually were surprised to find out how many people didn't even have internet at home sure. when we first started. So getting everybody the equipment, making sure everybody had computers was an effort in itself. And now sort of that we have that, now we're struggling with students not knowing the technology as well, not understanding the technology as well and all that. Um, but yeah, just because of virtue of that, we, we had to cut down a lot of staff. Um, a lot of our part-time staff isn't working right now. Some, some of them, thankfully, volunteered. We did have a lot of tutors who were retirees and just, you know, doing it to get out of the house. And so a lot of them were like, hey, give it, give it to the people who need it, which was really nice. Right. So. Yeah, that's quite generous of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but we're, we're making do. We're making it work. Like, like, like the faculty too, you know, the, the classes are making it work. I actually still enjoy it. I am so glad that I'm still teaching because I, I have that. It's like a brain switch for me when I do my class. Um, so it's really nice to hear like from the students and how they're doing, not just sort of the administration side of things. So that was going to be my, I guess, one of the questions I was going to ask mm-hmm. you was how do you find yourself? Is there one side of the job or one aspect of what you do at Palm Beach State that speaks to you more, whether it's in the classroom or in the SLC, or is it, you know, split down the middle 50, 50, it depends on the day or uh, how, how does that work out for you? Um, it, it, it really depends on the day. I, I like both, um, which if I had told myself that years ago, I never would have believed it. I never, when I was younger, did not see myself teaching, um, especially not teaching speech. It's actually one of the stories I like to tell my students. I'm a self-professed introvert. Like I, I am not going to go be out in the middle of a club or go seek out conversations with people, um, which I kind of like works out well for teaching speech because students are like, wait, but you teach this. I was like, yes, exactly. So if I can do it, you can do it too. <laughs> So do you find, at least in your head, that people that are good at public speaking tend to be extroverts for the most part? Um, or do you think that there's a correlation or, well, a causal relationship there? I think they can be, but I, I still think it's something that can be learned. You know, um, I, I think people who are extroverts or outgoing sometimes have a tendency to be a little bit better at it just because they're more likely to try it. But I find that those are often the people, too, who will just talk and talk and talk and sometimes have nothing to say. Or for if you're talking about something more formalized, they jump all over the place because they're talking about this thing and that thing. And, and then you sort of lose track of what they're doing. So they don't always do well in a more 
formalized setting, sure. like a speech class, um, which is kind of always fun when I, when I do those first speeches and you get somebody who's like, yes, I volunteer. I want to go first. I will talk to you all day and I'll take over the class if you let me. And then I have to tell them like, yeah, you can talk, but you have to be able to follow these guidelines for a speech class. <laughs> So it's it's very interesting. And then you have some introverts who like that structure. They take it and they say, okay, I, I, this is what I know. I need these three things or these four things to have a good speech. And they will practice so much that once they do it, it's phenomenal. And you would have no idea that they were uncomfortable. Do you find by virtue of having taken a speech course that introverts, not necessarily become extroverts, but do you find that public speaking in front of a class of students and in front of an instructor gives them not necessarily courage, but the confidence to go out and do it with, you know, quote unquote strangers. Do you find that that transition happens or is it just that students get more comfortable because they're in a class full of students that they've known since the entire, you know, for the entire term? Yes, that definitely is an element of it, especially for students who are, who are more scared, who are more reserved. Uh, they will, by the end of a semester, they'll often be like, yes, okay, great. I can talk to you all. Um, but I still don't think I can go out and talk to other people. And I always tell them, I said, this is, it's what I teach is introduction. It's fundamentals of speech communication. I do not expect you to go and give a presentation to hundreds of thousands of people at the end of this class. It's just not realistic. But if you've gotten to the point where you're even a little bit more comfortable to get up in front of the class or get up in front of a group, and talk, or you at least know how to structure a talk or a speech, then you're moving in the right direction. And so most students know they're not going to like run out and start talking to strangers um, at the end of a speech course, but hopefully maybe they'll at least start thinking about it. Or uh, that's, a, that's a, a huge move. More. Yeah. That, that's a massive uh, move. I... I think nine years ago would have been paralyzed to have the conversation for how long have we been talking? Eight minutes. I, I certainly couldn't manage half that time. If even that I, I yes. would be uh, bumbling like an idiot for the first four minutes, which I probably That's still not do. what I've been doing. <laughs> no, 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 it's it certainly not. But uh, over the past nine years, kudos entirely to my significant other. Uh, she has brought me out of my shell by telling me, you know, go talk to, go talk to Kim. Uh, no, why not? Well, something bad might happen. What's the worst possible thing that can happen? Well, she might not want to talk to me. Okay. I, I still don't know how that maybe, you know, do you lose your paycheck over that? If Kim doesn't want to talk to you or, you know, do you lose your car? Do you just, does, does one of your limbs get chopped off? Well, what's the hesitation here? And for me, it was, it, and it probably still is a very big mental block where it feels like my brain is on fire. And I don't know how else to explain that. Whereas uh, when I see people that talk without having to take pauses or they're poised the entire time and they, they always have something of substance to say, it, it, it's very, very impressive that they just, their brain can think that fast, that soon into the future, which shouldn't really be all that difficult to think, but it, it's admirable to me that people are able to do it. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, for me, it was her just pushing me into go, go talk to that person, go, go say something. And even if it's just random sounds, they might laugh at you. 
uh, and it'll start a conversation potentially. Mm -hmm. But it's something that I've gotten better at, but I'm in the grand scheme of things, I'm probably 15% of the way of where I would like to be. Oh, don't, uh, don't feel bad. I, I, my whole life I've had people doing that to me. Um, my mom's family is Italian and they will talk to anybody. And I have no idea how I've been part of their family for, for eight, for since I was born. And if, even to do this for me, honestly, I got a little nervous before coming on and talk to you. And I'm like, my husband's like, what, like, what are you doing? You, you know, this person is not somebody you've ever talked to before. I, said, I don't know, but I don't know what kind of questions he's going to ask me. And like, I have to sound like I know what I'm talking about. You don't. It, I, it, <laughs> I already said, if, if, in case you don't remember, I already set the stage on the first episode that no one should have any expectation of professionalism here. Yes. Uh, and and actually listening me. to them helped. Okay. That listening to those those first two helped me help me a little bit. I was like, oh, okay, good. Helena can, yeah, they were, can do it. No problem. They were fantastic. <laughs> yeah, that uh, was great. Tell me about yourself. I know, I, I forget how, how I know this or where I found this out, but you said either you told me or Lana mm -hmm. mentioned that you got married in Ireland. I did. Was that yes. something you mentioned or was that? Uh, oh, I, I think it was me because you that. gave me a picture. Um, I after I spoke yes. to your class. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Yes. So, okay. Well, you can either start there and then go backwards in time, or you can start, you know, this particular year, Kim Copeland is born and then what happens? So you have either choice. Oh, geez. My, my whole life story. Um, let's see. So right or now, whatever part of it you would like to share. <laughs> um, it's, it's crazy. When I was younger, uh, I want, I, did not think teaching I wanted to be a marine biologist, um, but I get really horribly motion sick. So we quickly discovered that that was not <laughs> going to happen because I cannot do boats. Um, so then I transferred to science and even in undergrad, I started in science and I'm, I'm really sorry to all the science people, but I, I chemistry and I did not get along um, really bad. I could pass my, I, I still um, am very proud of myself that I passed my calculus classes some kind of mental block about chemistry and I was struggling through these chemistry classes and physics and I was taking literature classes because I really enjoyed them and I go I suddenly had that like light bulb moment like what the hell are you doing you really enjoy these literature classes why aren't you majoring in literature so sophomore year I switched my major um which was a year before the stock market crash back then, which was not, you know, hindsight. I should have probably stuck with the sciences, but that's all right. Things worked out. Sure. Um, then, uh, I, and I actually met my husband my senior year of undergrad. So we, we met, we, um, I graduated a semester before he did. Um, I moved about an hour away. We had this whole long distance thing. Um, I worked in a casino for a year at some point in my life. That'll, that'll be a crazy memoir book. Um, <laughs> decided I did not need that in my life and went back to school and studied communication because I thought I was so bad at it. Might as, might as well get a master's in it because I'm the crazy kind of person that does that. <laughs> um, so, and, and in the midst of all this, my, my husband and I are great. Um, my, he was my boyfriend at the time and he's doing school. I'm doing school. I don't know how we didn't um, kill each other in that process. Somehow we made it through. We both have jobs. Um, finally decided to get married. And I mentioned my crazy Italian family before and my introvertedness. So a lot of my 
family. My mom is one of seven children, which means wow. I have 15 just first cousins that I grew up with and I'm really close with, uh, which leads to some pretty massive weddings. <laughs> and I did not want to do that at all. So um, I probably ticked several of them off and said that we were going to elope. And <laughs> no, I, no reason for Ireland. Obviously, I'm not um, Irish and I, I don't look Italian because my dad's family is Swedish and I got those looks from that side. Um, my husband is not Irish. We just liked Ireland and thought that um, planning a wedding in a country that spoke English would probably be a little bit easier. Mm -hmm. And we wanted to go there anyway. It was sort of one of the places on our bucket list. So um, I explained to my family that I love them, but I wanted to actually be happy at my wedding <laughs> and not be nervous and anxious about being in front of hundreds of people saying vows and things like that. So um, we brought my mom, my sister, her husband, um, my husband's mother and his brother, and that was it. Um, so it wasn't a full elopement like we had, you know, our, our little families there, but ended, ended up in Ireland and it was definitely the best decision for us. Uh, my family still threw us a party when we got back, um, but, you know, it wasn't the whole having to say vows and everything in front of everybody. So that was definitely the way to do it. Um, it, it was great. I really want to be able to go back at some point once we're all traveling and not worrying about our health again. Uh, it, was, it was amazing. And somewhere in between all that, too, I, I, I got a job at the Learning Center and started teaching speech, and I, that fits in there somewhere, right? <laughs> very awesome. I, I enjoyed Ireland, I think, was probably number two, very close number two to number the one. Grand Canyon. Oh, uh, we I haven't been Julie yet. and I, we went down the length of the entire Colorado River uh, with this river guide group called Crate. Colorado River and Trail Expeditions, I think it's called. And they do river running trips through the Grand Canyon, uh, Green River, I believe. I don't want to misattribute stuff to them. And they also have two in Alaska. And the Alaska trip is the one we're hopefully looking forward to someday. I don't know when that will be, but someday. Nice. And uh, yeah, that was, I think, 14 days, about two weeks of no cell phone service. You, you wake up when the sun comes up or when Walker, our wonderful guide, yelled coffee. Oh, that's a good thing to wake up to. And uh, you smell it and the air is wafting over. And it was just, it was a magical time. Ireland was good. Uh, Ireland was fantastic. Mm -hmm. The Grand Canyon was just a, a different kind of, of desolation and disconnection and, and being able to just not have to worry about emails or phone calls or any of those things it was just wonderful see that we were actually talking about we hadn't made any specific plans but we were talking about going this year or early next year so now maybe that's on hold i would definitely but, reach out to yeah. crate um they are i mean there's i think 10 or 15 in the low teens uh number of companies that are licensed to do that entire mm -hmm. trip with you and it is, I, I did a fair amount of research before I chose them and other boats were kind of going, you know, we would make camp and then other boats would go down. Uh, it, it was very easily obvious that we made the right choice with, with crate. See, it's the boat uh, part that worries me. 
I don't know how to swim. I don't know how to swim. Well, I just get sick swim. on them. So oh, oh be yeah, you realize the motion sickness. Yeah. Um, well, you could swim down some rapids. <laughs> That'd be an interesting way <laughs> of, of seeing the, the Grand Canyon. Yeah. <laughs> but I I know that they've restricted views. Uh, some photographer friends of mine were quite upset about that, that they closed off the North Rim and parts of the South Rim to uh, either do construction and they were opposed to that. So they said, just shut the whole thing down. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know where it landed. They wanted to build an overhang uh, with a glass floor so you could basically walk out over the Grand I, Canyon I heard about and that. look underneath. And uh, it was basically going to decimate either the wildlife or uh, the local people's rights, uh, people that have been there or indigenous tribes that even still live there. Uh, they were not consulted in any of this. So there's a lot of uh, land grabby stuff going on. But yeah, definitely recommend both the Grand Canyon and Ireland. And if you can make it out on a boat somehow, then going inside the Grand Canyon is a completely different view. Yes, I can. I can, I can take like medication and, and stuff like that. Um, it works, it works about 90% of the time. And you can Pretty sit good. in the middle of the boat. You don't have to sit on the edge and maybe sitting on the edge would be better if you hurled and it doesn't right, yeah, wash over, over the on edge anyone Instead else. of on people, <laughs> it's usually a good thing. Actually sitting at the edge helps too with, because you have the wind and the fresh air sure. and all that. So what other, you have any other travel recommendations for once we can all travel um, again? I'm thinking we've gone to Ireland. That was a big trip. The Grand Canyon was a big trip. Niagara Falls, we went in February when it was frozen. But the nice thing was that everything was Ooh. like you could just walk up to a waterfall and take photos without, you know, having this throng of people just, uh, you know, trying to get into your shot. Yeah, we um, went in August um, a few years ago and tons of people. The hotels were quite inexpensive and that's pretty much why we chose to go there at that time and i remember driving we we flew into niagara falls airport on the american side it was a small like local airport not fort lauderdale ish but something Mm -hmm. small and then we had taken a cab across the border i hadn't shaved in a while so i i looked the typical homeless slash terrorist (laughs) guy that i normally look like and the guy at the the checkpoint for customs stopped us, opens the door, and Julie, my girlfriend, she looks paler than the snow was that was on the ground. So I know that she's not getting into any sort of trouble. And he says, are you carrying any weapons? And she has the wonderful foresight to say, define weapon. Oh, jeez. Are you trying to get me sent to Guantanamo Bay? Or what, 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 are you, what is your goal here? What are you trying to do? And eventually the guy said, I'm going to ask you again, do you, are you carrying any weapons? And then she said, does a curling iron count? And he smiled and he said, have a nice day. And oh, geez. Like, what are you doing? So <laughs> Niagara Falls is, is one of those places where I don't know if I want to go back again, but have you, have you heard of Yellowknife? No. It's a lake in Northern Canada uh, where they have a village and in the winter time, basically they set up bonfires and teepees, and it's a grand viewing of the northern lights. So the entire wow. town shuts down their lights at night, and then you go out. Uh, 
you know, into the middle of the lake, I guess, or someplace near the lake, and you're able to see the aurora borealis. That sounds amazing. So that is, so we typically alternate one hot, one cold place Mm because Julie hates cold places and I tend to enjoy them. I love it. But to see the Northern Lights in Northern Canada, unfortunately, you have to go there like December, January, so winter break. Yeah. And she said, I'm not going to Canada. She, she's French Canadian. So she left and she says, I left oh. and I came to Florida so that I didn't have to live in the cold. And now you want to go on vacation to minus yes. 30 degrees. Yes. It's like, but it's so pretty outside. Right. Oh, see, I, I'm one of the rare people who was born in Florida. So I'm always like, yes, let me go travel. We got married mm-hmm. in Ireland in October um, because, well, one, I'm crazy and I love October. And it was actually um, a Friday the 13th, just to add to that sure. insanity. <laughs> um, and two, because it's so much less expensive to travel in the colder months. Nobody wants to go, yeah. but I love the, it's a good excuse to break out my coats that I can never wear and put on some boots. <laughs> I, I don't mind cold weather. I, I do mind having to put on layers, but, uh, you know, if it's a place like, again, if a place like Ireland or, or Northern Canada or even Alaska for that matter, those are places where, you know, I don't know if they're going to be around in their pristine conditions. I know that, you know, at least Alaska, uh, Walker, one of our river guides was showing us pictures of the size of, I think it was a Mendelssohn glacier. I can't remember if it was Mendelssohn or if it was another one in Alaska. And they showed me pictures from the fifties that their parents had taken when they started the company. And pictures more recently, like over the past few years. And you can see the size of the glacier has has shrunk from, you know, just this huge, gigantic thing to now just the shell of its past. So I don't know how much longer, you know, that, that mm-hmm. part of the world is going to stay pristine. Uh, but yeah, I would recommend Alaska, Yellowknife. Uh, there's, uh, I don't know if you enjoy stargazing, but I enjoy dark sky sights and there's Ireland was one of the reasons, or I think the circle of Kerry has a gold tier dark sky site. And there's only, I think three or four in the entire world. So that was part of the reason why I started looking into Ireland and I said, you know, that's the place I want to go to. Um, there's another one in Australia. There's one in Pennsylvania, I believe at one of the state parks. So the Pennsylvania one is very, very accessible. You, know, you can yeah. go that's, there, go camping close. for a week. I have family in Pennsylvania. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> uh, but you can, on a good night, the only downside is that if it's a cloudy night, you can't see the Milky Way. But if it's mm-hmm. a clear night and you get lucky, then you can actually see the, the entire Milky Way over you without any you know, special equipment. You, you just see it basically traverse over your head. Oh, wow. And we stayed at this place, which was supposedly the best place to stay at, where you could literally walk out into the driveway uh, and 10 feet away is this open cove. So you don't have any pollution coming in from land, light pollution coming in from land. And the Milky Way literally goes perpendicular right angle to your entire field of view. And the entire night was cloudy. Oh. (laughs) So the hostess was was quite sad. It, It was, and it was terrible. Uh, and Julie was obviously sleeping. She said, if you see it, come get me mm-hmm. because I was already looking at weather forecasts and it, it already said that it was going to be cloudy. Oh, but yeah, if you enjoy that kind of stuff, 
um pennsylvania i wish i had known about that when uh when we went it's fantastic if you ever go back yeah um and there there's also an amazing chocolate factory so at this place we had rented a car and we were just driving from town to town on the mm -hmm. west atlantic way but I was tasked with putting the luggage in the car because we were leaving in that morning. So I took the suitcase, put it in the car in the back seat, and went inside to grab the next suitcase, brought it back outside, and the car door was shut. Apparently, it's quite windy in Ireland. Yeah, just a little bit. <laughs> and the car, the keys of the car were inside oh the car. My <laughs> but we found out that one of these amazing chocolate factories was literally a, a 10 minute walk up the hill from where we were staying. So the hostess was kind enough and she said, you know, I'll get the car unlocked with a locksmith whenever he gets here, I'll let you guys know, but go, go enjoy some chocolate and some hot chocolate. And it was probably the best chocolate I've ever had in my entire life. You had this entire tasting, you know, session that mm -hmm. you can go to and you taste chocolate for free. And it, it's like the adage, the first hit is free. And after that, you know, you got to pay. <laughs> I paid dearly. But, free, you're, but you're willing to pay for it. Oh, yes. It was just. Oh, it, it see, was that divine. sounds better than like the Jameson tour. We did do that on the last day. And we said the same thing yeah. that, you know, I'm very happy that we did this on the very last day because we, we landed in Dublin and then we just left, mm -hmm. got in the car and just started driving. And we did, we looped around and went back to, to Dublin to turn in our car. And it was one of those things like, yeah, this was cool, but neither of us drank. So right. we tried it at the end and we we're like, eh, okay. Yeah. We saw of, it. Eh. Right. The rest of, I mean, somebody will probably kill me for this, but the rest of the I Ireland is way better than Dublin. <laughs> oh, yeah. And that's what I had read. So people had said, if you, if you enjoy the outdoors and if you're going to Ireland to visit, mm -hmm. you know, the countryside yeah. get out of the big cities immediately don't, mm -hmm. don't sit around long enough right all right so i have a couple of questions that uh, a previous interviewee asked to ask you okay. uh, I'll to start ask me with, specifically well they don't know that it's you oh so. right okay and then at the end of the interview today i'm going to ask you the same thing give me a couple of questions that well you don't know who the next i don't right. even know who the next person is uh a plug for anyone that wishes to appear on this podcast. Can give, I'll give you some, some suggestions. Cool. Uh, so the first one is, what does a student have to do to definitely get a letter of recommendation from you? Asking for a friend. <laughs> what, do they, what do they definitely have to do? Uh, well, yeah, that word class definitely would be is, a big is, one. <laughs> That's a pretty low bar, though. But uh, oh, I, I mean, it's well, your bar. You can I set it. I did have a student ask once that did not pass my class, and I thought it was the weirdest thing ever. Um, Were like, they like very conscientious, or uh, it, it was in an email? Um, and I asked, I, I sent an email back, and I said, "Are, are you sure you have the right professor?" Because <laughs> um, there is a Deborah Copeland at the college, and I know sometimes okay. she gets my emails because my email address gets cut off. Um, so that was my first instinct was like, okay, maybe you have the wrong professor. No, no, not the wrong professor. They were just like, yeah, you know, like I really tried hard in your class and you know, you were such a great professor that I would just like really appreciate it. If you gave me a letter of recommendation, I was like, you have to have like somebody 
Like when you retook the class, you didn't even take it with me. You took it with somebody <laughs> else. Why don't you ask that professor? It was, it was dumbfounded. I've only, only once, I only ever had that happen once. So yeah, that's, that's why I say you definitely have to pass the class. Um, that's understandable. Yeah. Uh, probably also participate, uh, and, and not like to the participate to like the extent that was required of you of the class, but you know, a letter of recommendation is going to be better from a professor that you've seen outside of office hours. Right. Did you go visit that professor? And for me, I'm not hard to find because I'm in the student learning center five days a week. Um, you, they know where I am. So if, if you come and you sort of make that extra effort, you're going to be more likely to get that letter of recommendation. Um, even now, so I'm doing way too much in my life. One of the things I took on uh, last year was I'm also the co-advisor for the Phi Theta Kappa club on our campus. And I've had students for that who email and they say, hey, I'm a member. Can you write me a letter of recommendation? I'm going, I don't know your name. Have you come to any club meetings? Like, why, why don't I know you? How, how am I supposed to write you a letter of recommendation if I've never met you? Um, so definitely, um, in addition to passing class or if, you know, maybe you know me from some other element would be some level of interaction, right? How, how well do I know you? Um, you know, is this just a, Hey, I did really well in your class and I, I need a letter of recommendation or, Hey, I did really well in your class, but I also came to talk to you to make sure I was doing well in your class. And I reached out to find out what, what else I can do and how I can do better. That sort of thing. Have you ever, and this is not a question that this person asked, but have no. you ever written a bad letter of recommendation or I know that a lukewarm one is probably worse than no letter at all. So has there been an occasion where. I don't want to say you got forced into it, but have you ever had uh, the, the misfortune of having to write a less than stellar letter? So not for any of my personal students, but with, with PTK, yes. Um, because they sort of need like proof of membership sure. letters of recommendation. So I have done one or two that I'm like, okay, send me like your resume and what you've done so I can put in like, hey, this person volunteers, even if it's not with the club, they're, they're volunteering or they're working while they're studying. So that shows good work ethic. Um, that's probably one of the more lukewarm ones I've written. I, I've never flat out like written like this person's horrible or anything like that. I would tell a student no, um, like my poor student who didn't pass the class. I had one professor for a science class. I won't say which discipline it was because that might give it away, <laughs> but it was a science class in undergrad. And the first day of class, he said, anyone who wants a letter of recommendation, I will write you one. Uh, I, or no, he said, I will write anyone in this class a letter of reference. And a letter of reference mm. just means that it's that. It may mean a recommendation. It may mean a scathing account of how stupid you are or how irresponsible you were in the class and, you know, all these other things. Mm -hmm. So he said, I'm not going to tell you whether it's a good or a bad one. So if you want a letter of recommendation instead of just, you know, a letter of reference, uh, make sure, you know, you do these things, which are exactly what you mentioned, mm -hmm. you know, come to class, make sure I know what your voice sounds like, which I thought was a nice way of putting it. But yes. if I can't, if I can't remember at the end of the semester what you sound like or what your voice is, mm -hmm. you're probably not the most memorable of students. And the flip side of that is I can't write as strongly about you uh, or on your behalf or advance your candidacy as I could for anyone else that I do remember. 
So get to know me. If you don't know what my favorite baseball team is, he enjoyed baseball. And he said, if you don't know what my favorite baseball team is, I'm not going to write you a letter. Oh, I like that. So it was his way of saying, come see me after or outside of office hours. Don't just mm-hmm. talk to me about science right. uh, or this science topic. Get to know me so that I have the opportunity to get to know you as well, mm-hmm. which I thought was entirely fair. And yeah. I might have to borrow. I don't like, I don't do sports, but I might have to borrow something similar. To something. Favorite musical, favorite uh-huh. movie, favorite song, favorite band, something of the sort that that just says, what's my favorite hobby? What were, where did I get married? I, I don't know. Right. Whatever part of, of your life you wish to share with your students. Yeah. We don't usually venture into the, the marriage category, but <laughs> I'll give them some background on like my favorite books and holidays and things like that. And really anybody who's paying attention will, will know sort of, um, what one of my favorite books is because of the lanyard I wear at work. So, what is it? Um, so, my lanyard that I wear to work says Hogwarts alumni. Okay, I can, so. I think I can guess what it is. <laughs> I, I won't I I won't go out again having studied li- literature and everything like that. I cannot say it is my favorite book because I cannot pick one. Um, but you know, I, it it came about in my formative years, and I grew up with it, and so it's definitely one of those um, cliche that you know but I still enjoy it even all these years I, later. I read them and they were significantly better pieces of writing in my extremely uninformed opinion than to me, the, the, the literature greats. I, I mm-hmm. found myself enjoying uh, her books immensely. Uh, I'll leave it at that since it was your yes. question. No, no, definitely. Um, it, it's, you know, as a literature major, like you sort of, oh yes, like I've, I've read this and I've read that and whatever. And it's sort of partially also why I switched to communications because sometimes literature people, and I love them dearly, but you know, a few of them have that sort of pretentious, um, reputation and like, I'm sorry, nobody actually likes Moby Dick. You read it because you have to, and because you're supposed to. And even then you probably didn't really read the whole thing. (laughs) It probably skips through the densest it, parts of the book. Exactly. It's like, sure, Melville knew what he was doing, but if he really knew what he was doing, he could have made it more readable for a wider audience. Um, so really, that's one of my sort of characteristics is not just like, is it is it good and, and is the writer good, but is it good where people who don't know literature or aren't interested in literature are still going to be able to understand and get get a lot out of it? It's just my two, two literary sense there. So yes, we can talk about, you know, other books that I enjoy too, but it's, well, I'm it's curious. <laughs> I'm curious now. What's a book outside of maybe Melville's Moby Dick oh, that you hated that you just said, um, I can't believe I had to read that, or I'm never going to get my time back because I read this book or that I gained nothing from it. Any, any sort of mm. negative response. I don't know that I, I'm trying to, I'm trying to remember like flat out hating. I don't remember any instance where I just like stopped and like couldn't read this book anymore. Or if I did, I don't remember the title of it because it was so bad. But as far as for school goes, um, things like I had to read because I had to be able to talk about them in class. Ulysses was pretty awful. Joyce? Uh, Joyce. Yeah. Well, and I think part of it is just because of the time frame that I had to read it in. And okay, so, yeah, you it, know, it, it's, it's yeah. like this. And if you 
it, which I normally for, you do a podcast, I can't use my uh, hand gestures. It is really long. So for those of you who are familiar with Harry Potter, it is longer than the fourth Harry Potter book. Um, and sure. the words are smaller. So it is, it's a slog. And I think I had to, I had to read it in less than a month for class. Um, so I can remember like bits and pieces. And I remember reading and like, if I would come to a, a part that, you know, like caught my attention. Okay, great. But there were so few things that I was just sort of slogging through. And then as literature major, you, you realize, or you're told from by your professors when you're reading Joyce, he just wrote the same book over and over again. So you lit, Portrait of the Artist is much, much shorter and is basically everything that's good about Ulysses. So just read that one. <laughs> I did not read that. Yeah. Oh, but you did read Ulysses? Yes. I, but I did not yes. read it in a month. I, I, Awful. I'm thinking I started in a summer break when I was in India, and then I finished at winter break. So that's at least seven months. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so that's more understandable. And even like, I know some universities have whole, like it's a semester and that's mm-hmm. all you read. I can see that doing it in a month or less is, is crazy. <laughs> I don't, I, I, I did go to an honors program. Um, so maybe they were expecting a little bit much of us, but even that was, I mean, it was undergrad and no, no, I don't, not recommend it. <laughs> Well, right. I keep telling myself I'll go back to it, but I, I haven't gotten there yet. I can't think of any books that made me want to go back. Uh, have you heard or read any Michael Crichton? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so like Jurassic Park and yes. um, those are the so, ones that always come to mind. I read them before the movies came out. So I had, I, yes. I grew up with Michael Crichton and Anne Rice and mm-hmm. fiction writers that were, you know, at least at the top of their game, supposedly. Yes during that time. And then the, the deal with my parents was I was allowed to read three fiction novels, but then I would have to read one nonfiction. Uh, so I would read three Crichtons and then I would read the Iliad, which, uh, and they didn't read the books, but they said, if we ask you questions and you can't answer them, you, you'll lose the ability to read fiction again. And oh, wow. I enjoyed reading at the time because it wasn't something we were required to do in school. It, it was just, I did it because it was my evening one hour, you know, before you go to sleep, 9 p.m. to 10 p.m., you do it. And I I genuinely enjoyed it. So they never had to, you know, test me and say, oh, are you really reading Homer? Or (laughs) are you really reading Plato or Socrates? So they had me, the the deal was, you know, three fiction for every nonfiction. And eventually it just became one for one. but yeah, I, I, I can't imagine reading Joyce or Ulysses uh, in a month. That's that, a rough that, book to read in a month, know. especially if you're yeah. like a student and you're doing other things. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. That wasn't the only class I was taking. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's, that's I, don't remember, I don't remember what else I was reading at the same time, <laughs> but I know there was at least one or two other things. And, and I'm like you, I, I would growing up just like re- read through all sorts of stuff. There was always books in my house. Um, I did not have to read nonfiction though. That's, I, li- I like that. Maybe if I had, I would be a little more into it now, but uh, my, my go-to is still always going to be fiction for the most part. For me, it was, uh, so nonfiction is sort of, uh, 
a bad way of describing it. Mm-hmm. They let me read Greek mythology and Egyptian Ooh. mythology, which okay. again, I don't want to upset anyone, but to me, it's fictitious stuff. You know, yes. I don't know if Olympus mm-hmm. or Olympus is actually a, a real place, and if Athena was real, but even if she wasn't or was, it doesn't matter to me. The stories mm-hmm. are still wonderful. So my parents basically said, "Okay, you can read mythology, and that counts as a as a nonfiction book." But then, yeah, I, I didn't read real nonfiction, as it were. Gotcha. I was a faker. <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, I could see the argument there. You know, it's it's a historical representation, and that's what they believed at the time. So, yeah, <laughs> technically, nonfiction, I like that. Um, just to throw out the the mythology, not Greek, but Norse, uh, my dog's name is Freya, so. <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't get so much into Norse mythology, but only because the 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 library where I would borrow books from had this huge section of Egyptian and and, mm-hmm. and Greek, but they didn't have so much in the way of Norse mythology. Uh, I read Beowulf when I came to the United mm-hmm. States, and that I really enjoyed. Um, some Chaucer, but n- nothing extensive where I, yeah. would, where I would say, oh, I know about that. Not to say that I know anything about anything. <laughs> um, okay, so next question. If your college self were in your class, how would you see him or her? How would he or she see you? So I guess the two questions are, so first, you're in your own class. Okay. How would you see yourself in your class? So like 20-something me see me now um, or 18, 19 me. Ooh, that's scary. It's you know, I would probably like my version of the class better because I, the way I teach it is because I had such a, or partly because I had such a horrible experience in my first public speaking class in college. <laughs> Again, another story I like to tell my students. It Go was, ahead, please. It was, it was bad. Um, and, and I actually, I took it as a dual enrollment student in high school. So okay. I was actually a senior taking public speaking um, with a bunch of college students. But the instructor was very much into, you had to memorize these details of public speaking and not just ethos, pesos, and logos that we, you know, you're going to talk about and, um, you know, steps for doing a speech. But like, and I honestly, to this day, I, I couldn't even tell you what some, it was like we had vocabulary tests and we had multiple choice tests that if, you know, if, if you had this scenario, how would, what kind of speech would you do and how would you organize your speech and outline your speech um, in, in test form, multiple, and I'm going multiple choice questions for that a speech That just sounds class? terrible. That is just positively. Uh, how can I? Yeah. And it, it was bad because we, we did have to do speeches, but there wasn't a lot of practicing. The actual speech class was the professor lecturing and us taking notes and we had to, you know, write write our notes and make sure we knew our keywords and everything for the test and then be able to also prepare a speech and present without ever having really talked in class. So I think college me would like my class a little bit more because I actually make them talk and put them in groups and do group works and I don't give them multiple choice tests. Um, 
Me, the other half of that was how would I see myself in my class? Yes. How if you college, had eighteen year old Kim mm-hmm. in your class, would eighteen year old Kim be a good student, bad student? How, how would you uh, classify eighteen year old Kim? Eighteen year old Kim would have been a good. Or student. however old you were or are <laughs> in the scenario taking your class. Yeah, you were eighteen, nineteen, some somewhere in there. Um, would, would have been a good student. I, I was, you know, always a good student about studying and, and passing tests and things like that. But um, at that age, in a speech class, I definitely would have been the person in the back of the room that was like, oh my God, please don't make me go first. Um, and that the, you know, me as the professor, I would have that talk with myself, maybe after class or whatever, like, look, it's okay. You can do it. I promise. And if I had told 18 year old me that I would be teaching speech. I never would have believed myself. <laughs> so there's, there is definitely that. Um, but no, I was, I would have been the student in the room trying to make sure I did really well on every assignment so that when I bombed the speech, I still passed the class <laughs> and I probably wouldn't have bombed the speech as bad as I think I did. Um, I, I, definitely tend to be harder on myself. So I would think I did like really, really horrible. And then I would get my grade back and I'd be like, Oh, okay. I got a B plus or an A minus. This is, this is all right. Um, but yeah, and I, I, I sort of, I try not to like see myself in students a lot, but every now and then I'll get one of those students that I see struggling and then they get up to talk. And I'm like, why, why are you worried? Like you, 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 you got like, did you prepare a lot? Did you, you were fine. Why are you so terrified? Um, because that's, that was me at that age. Like I terrified. <laughs> Do you find that? that no, you did. I, I'm trying to think of how to ask the next one. Sure. I'll ask the one that was suggested and, and I'll see if I can form the one in my head any better. Of all the things in your life that didn't go according to plan, which are you the most grateful for? The marine biology. I would have been sick all the time. <laughs> um, Hmm. That's a hard question. It's from a, once you hear the, the next episode after yeah. Helena, you'll, you'll understand I'll, I'll get it. Okay. why or who it, it'll make sense. The person that asked the question mm-hmm. and the question itself that it came from him will make sense. Gotcha. Or her. Or her. Okay, so so ref- say that again. Of all the things of that all went, the things in your life that plan, did not go according to plan, which are you the most grateful for? I know. Um, so the first one that comes to mind, besides the marine biology thing, which is a joke, uh, I applied in my sophomore year of high school to do a program with Broward College where I would have um, essentially dual enrolled but finished my high school degree and my AA degree at the same time. So I took um, whatever it was, I took SATs early and took placements tests and you know my grades were really good and I wrote this essay and I stressed about it and I Um, applied and I thought this was like something I really really wanted to do Um, and then I got the letter that I was not accepted to the program but you know we'd be happy to have you as a dual enrollment student get get some of your credits whatever I was devastated Um, 
I was like 15, 16 years old, maybe. Um, I like really wanted to do like, I want to, I want to go. I want to get into college. Um, I want to get college done and graduate early. And looking back, um, I still wanted to study science and biology at 15, 16. And I, I think it would have gone so differently for me had I done that and not necessarily in a, in a good way. You know, I think of um, a lot of things that I did in my uh, junior and senior year of high school, even things that I did in college. Um, you know, I studied abroad in Greece for a summer that I had, I gotten accepted to that program that I wouldn't have done. There was a lot of things that I would have missed out on. Um, and, and I think sometimes trying to enter that job market and, and trying to finish school early isn't always the best idea um, now that I'm older and have that retrospect. So I think that's definitely one of the things that I'm thankful didn't go how I wanted it to at the time. Do you think it's ever a good idea? I mean, not be. to speak in absolute, yeah, not to speak in absolutes, mm-hmm. but can you think of a scenario yeah. where it would be a good idea to speed up the, the collegial process and, or the collegiate process? Yeah. What's the word there? Collegial or collegiate? Collegiate, probably. To speed yes, up passing collegiate. through mm-hmm. collegiate process uh, and get into a job force faster, I guess. Can you think of a scenario where that would be a good idea or not be a bad idea? Probably depends on your industry. You know, I can see like, um, you know, we have some really young students come through. Uh, I don't want to use any names, but we've had some really students on the young side that want to go into computer programming and technology things. And that makes total sense because a lot of times those students and people who they, they're constantly learning, they constantly have to be on their toes and learn new things. They sort of never, leave learning, I think. And I think it's easier to do that when you're younger. You're not to say that you, you can't do it when you're older. So obviously there's people who are, um, you know, older and in the tech industry, but I think those sort of new ideas and the way that you think when you're younger has a lot of sort of, there's a lot of positive, positive things that can come out of that. So for certain fields and for certain for certain people, some some younger I don't like to call them kids because by the time they get to us, usually they're not kids, but sometimes they, they still are. Uh, you know, some kids are more prepared for it than others. I think it depends. It's a lot on personality and just what you what you want to do. But I think there's also a lot of sort of um, experimenting and things that you miss out on when you try to rush the process. So sure. It's a, a catch-22. It's sort of hard. There's no good answer. No, I, I was hoping you'd have one, but I have <laughs> Sorry. A, a lot of students, in fact, even one a few weeks ago who asked what she should do uh, in terms of wanting to graduate faster. So she mm-hmm. was still at the beginning of her mathematical journey. She was planning on studying computer science and uh essentially said that, you know, I I need to start at the college algebra level, but if I take college algebra in six weeks and then pre-calculus in six weeks over the summer, then Mm -hmm. I can take trigonometry in like an eight-week course in the fall and come to your second half of Calc 1 and then take Calc 1 with you in the spring. Mm -hmm. That sounds awful. Are you running from the mafia (laughs) or, you know, what what is the, what's What's the the rush rush here? Yeah. 
And to date, I have never received a good answer for that or even a satisfactory answer outside of, A, uh, I want to graduate with my friends and they're a year ahead. Mm. Or B, um, it's something I want to do. I don't have a reason for it. I just want to do it, which I guess is as good a reason as anything to, to do anything at all in the world. But how would you handle that scenario? I mean, I did it to the best of my abilities, but I found myself looking for words or how do I not necessarily convince the student that what he or she is thinking is, is an inefficient way about going their college career, but in the long term, it might actually be detrimental to their experience. They might burn out or they, they might say, oh, I definitely don't want to study computer science. Now, if you don't want right. to do it because you hate it, well, that's a different story by mm-hmm. all means. Burnout would be my biggest concern too. I can't, I can't imagine doing any classes back to back to back like that. Like no matter the discipline, that's, that's a lot for anything. And I, I do know I've seen students do it. It is, it is possible. Um, I, what I try to do in similar situations to that is try to get the student to think like, okay, one, not just why do you want to do it? What's, what's the end goal? And then two, also, what are you going to lose by doing that? Is, is there anything you're going to, you're going to miss out on, right? So, okay. So if you're one of the students, you want to graduate with your friends. Great. I, I understand that. But what are you potentially missing to get there? Are there other friends you can make? Are there not just other friends, but think about too, for your, the, the job or the industry you want to go into, do you need letters of recommendation? You're going to have less time to make those connections with your professors. Are you going to be in any clubs? Are there any internship opportunities that you could have as a student that you're not going to have as much time for by trying to accelerate this process? So especially something for me, since I graduated sort of amongst that last recession we had, um, was something that I regretted was not having as much experience going out, um, not doing as many internships and not sort of having those things to you know, pack in my resume. So I always try to get, and again, that's just um, because of my experience, I always try to get students to think about that. Like, are you living at home with your mom and dad? And the first thing you're putting on your resume is that I graduated um, and I worked at Publix. There's nothing wrong with working at Publix. Put it on your resume. But how are you going to sort of finesse that to the industry that you want to be in? Or is it better to maybe spend an extra semester and be able to find an internship, work with the career center to to make those make those connections before you graduate. That's sort of how I would approach it. That's a wonderful approach. I did not think of any of those ideas or <laughs> any of those angles or approaching it from from those things. I, I'm usually more heavy handed and just say that's a stupid idea. Don't do it. <laughs> well, I do, I would do that too, but <laughs> then I would go into think about this is a stupid idea. But think about think about these things. This is why it's stupid. <laughs> I'll, I'll try the gentler approach in the future if, if someone does approach me. Uh, it, it, the heavy-handed works too. It just depends on the student. In, in this case, I, I think there was room for for being frank and for being mm-hmm. straightforward. Uh, at least the, the student didn't come across as, you know, I need my handheld through this. Uh, they had a very clear path forward and they said, these are my options. I could do this. I could do this. In your estimation, would you recommend that I take path A versus path B? Mm-hmm. Uh, please give me a straightforward answer. 
Okay. Yeah. You, you said it in your email. Now, <laughs> if I call Plan A stupid, it it, it was uh, well requested. Candor was requested. <laughs> oh, see, I like that. It that makes it wonderful. easier. It, it was. It, I I quite enjoyed writing that email. <laughs> Uh, okay, last question. Um, this was interesting. It caught me off guard as well. Why did you agree to be interviewed by Anurag or me? <laughs> um, I thought it was a fun idea. And also, too, I, I agreed after I listened to one of the other podcasts that you did. So that sort of made me uh, a little more willing to do it. I was like, oh, okay, good. I can answer these kinds of questions. I don't have to like sound like I know what I'm talking about. Uh, <laughs> like I do when I'm in the classroom and that sort of, cause that was my, my first thing. I was like, Oh my gosh, am I going to have to like have like notes ready to go? And so once I listened to the first one, then I was like, Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I got this. <laughs> I don't know if that's an indictment of you. Should I be preparing better or should I have better no, questions? No, I think it's good because you know, a lot of people we know from like, Oh yeah, I know this person teaches that class. Or, you know, we, we've sort of had um, interactions from me coming into your classes as a speech person because of how you do the flip classroom. So I, I know you that way, but, um, you know, I don't know, I didn't know about your, your stargazing before. And same thing with other professors. So I'm like, oh, if I can, you know, get to know people a little bit better, which I sort of think is what you're trying to do. Um, outside is. of just that this person teaches this, that person teaches that. Um, or from what my students say, which we all know we should never listen to them um, with their opinions about professors. So <laughs> what what better way than to, you know, listen to a fun podcast when I'm trying to ignore my other job responsibilities? Well, it, I'm hoping that it can be done simultaneously. That, But if people take apart mm -hmm. time to or take out time to just listen and do nothing else, then... Well, great mission accomplished, but <laughs> yes. I was hoping for the conversation to be light enough to where, you know, it doesn't require you to put away whatever it is that you're doing and just concentrate on what's being spoken. Mm -hmm. um, so, sorry. no, and I, I will give you that. I don't think I could do like my Palm Beach State job um, while listening to it just because my, my brain does not work like that. You know, I'm doing a lot of writing and um, with my new, I don't know if we talked about this. So um, the day that it was announced, we were going to, we had a week to move remote was the day that I started as the student learning center manager. I was going to bring it up at the end. <laughs> oh, okay. So this, congratulations. I was going to say that at the end. But it was oh, sorry, off. I beat you to it. No, that's um, okay. You can toot your own horn. It's, it's a it's a toot worthy horn. It, it's it's been an interesting um, just over a month as I double check the date. I can't believe it's only been a month. Um, definitely an interesting time to start. Um, and I totally forgot where I was going with this. What was the question? <laughs> it was related. I swear. I think it was, why did you agree to being interviewed by me? Oh, yeah. Um, so, oh, yeah. So to to do that and to do the explanation and the writing that I've been doing as part of that job, um, because it's required a lot of reports and explanation of what we're doing. And I swear we're working remote. Look at all these numbers and statistics <laughs> from students. And, um, you know, remember I passed calculus, so I can handle the numbers but my brain doesn't always like to listen to other words when I was trying to type words. 
So for me, um, as sort of like a mental break, what I've been doing is I sew a little bit. So I've been like making masks for my family that work in hospitals and things like that. Oh, cool. So I've been listening to the podcast while doing that. And that's like a good um, mix for me. All right. So to the last, to the rest of you listening, please help me help Kim continue sewing for the first responders. Yes. Or the first line. Uh, At least until my fabric way. runs out. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, it was an absolute delight talking to you and Thanks, congratulations man. again on being the, uh, and I use this term as an, as a term of endearment, the new overlord. Uh, <laughs> For any administrators that I like, I always use that term uh, and, yes. and they know that. So I don't mean it in any harm. Uh, no, I, I appreciate it. <laughs> it. It's a term of endearment that I use for anyone that graduates and, and becomes someone in a, in a new, not necessarily a position of power, but a position of respect. It's, it's not, it's not a position of power. No. And I'm still <laughs> teaching too, because I, I do, I do enjoy it. I, I like that too. So I want to try to keep teaching at least one class a semester. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not teaching for the summer. Um, because I thought it might be a little much, um, which is probably good because I know they cut down a few classes anyway. Sure. So, but yeah, I, want, I hope to be back back in the classroom in the fall, Sounds whether physically or virtually. I hope that we're uh, back so. in class by the fall. I I, I enjoy this, but I think uh, the connections that I wanted to make or that I crave with the students had already been established. And then when we moved to a virtual space, it was just like, hey, guys, you know, I know you, Kim. I know you, John, or you know, right. whatever the case might be. But I already had built that rapport with students where I could lean on them and say, hey, guys, this is an easier week. So if you, you, know, you have other things that you need to do, mm -hmm. I would recommend getting them done this week. Next week is going to be rough. Yeah. So I, I was able to, I forget what Matt Clauser calls this, but I think he called it making a deposit in the student goodwill bank. Hmm. Although he says it far more eloquently, but you know, you can keep making deposits all semester. And then when you need a withdrawal, because a week is going to be tough, then, uh, you know, you can push them a little bit and say, okay, it's going to be a little rough for the next couple of weeks, but you guys got it. Right. Well, so, I think there's something to be said for warning them too. Uh, true. That too as well. Uh, but I, I miss that. And I think, uh, with the summer classes, it's going to be interesting. It, it's going to be, I'm teaching, well, obviously all remote courses, but I'm curious to see how I'm going to be able to build that rapport or that, uh, that feeling of comfort with that, that goes both ways. You know, students mm -hmm. feel comfortable asking me questions and I feel comfortable answering them in a manner that might get misconstrued as me being rude, but they know that it's not coming from a bad place or that, right. you know, I'm being uh, sarcastic at times mm -hmm. with, with my answer or really, did you really just answer that or ask that question? <laughs> but I, I say it jokingly in class, Yes. in a virtual space, I don't know if, if that's going to be taken the same way. It's, it's harder. Um, I, I tend to be a little sarcastic as well. And it's, it, it is much harder virtually. You, I, can, you, you, you can figure out how to do it. I will try that. I have confidence. Thank you. All right. Well, thank you very, very much uh, for hanging out with me. And I'll ask you for what questions to ask the next person by email. Oh, okay. Great. Good. I don't have to come up with them right now. That's no, no, awesome. no. I wouldn't do that to people. On the spot. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> but I enjoy the rest that. of your, your evening. And thank you for spending Monday with me. Yes. Thank you. Thanks for thinking of me. Absolutely.
Talk Have a nice day. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. I've always had a low undercurrent of wanting to be a professor. I feel at home in a classroom. I enjoy talking to students and relish the challenge of getting them as excited about mathematics as I am. But I never had the fortune of having an aha moment where I realized that that is what I was meant to be. In his famous talk, The Last Lecture, Professor Randy Pausch said, There are moments that change your life. Ten years later, if you know in retrospect that it was one of those moments, you're blessed. But to know it at that moment. Next week's episode is with a professor that had one of these very enviable moments. And it just clicked right there at age 18, you know, in October, New England fall morning while sitting in class, I want this life. I want to be a professor. That's all for this week. Tune in next Friday for more. Until next time, for another 96 times, take care.